We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to discuss this crazy response that I received from a gentleman at the Tulsa County Rhinos Facebook page where he challenges me because I wrote about the need to return to Christian charity and Christian love and he says I'm not being loving. We're going to talk about this one a little bit more. I just can't resist. I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's show. If you listened to yesterday's program, and if you haven't, this one needs to be put in context. Yesterday, I talked about my column that I wrote for the Washington Times this weekend, and I titled, titled it, excuse me, I titled it, Show Me Some Love, Stop Tolerating Me. One more time, Show Me Some Love, Stop Tolerating Me. And essentially, my article, as you know, I read the whole thing to you in yesterday's program. Essentially, essentially, my article makes this argument, and that is this. Love and tolerance are not synonymous. And this isn't a new, a new point that I've made with you all on the show. We've talked about it before. I've talked about the need to define our terms, that conservatives should conserve the the definition of words, the objective meaning and understanding of words. Words like green, it's a color, it shouldn't be a political agenda. Words like gay, it's an expression of joy and happiness. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be co-opted by those who want sexual license and to force their sexual decisions on all the rest of the world as somehow a marker of their actual identity. I've talked about reclaiming the high ground of words like um, freedom, that we are free when we live within the fences of our constitutional re republic. And when we tear those fences down, we're not going to gain more freedom. We're going to actually suffer the consequences of, of losing it, of losing that freedom. It's the paradox of liberty and law. I've talked about we need to reclaim the definition of liberal, that the classical definition, the age-old definition of what it means to be a liberal was, was to be someone who believed in liberty, how the liberal arts education, for example, was an education in freedom. A liberal arts institution way back to the days of Oxford when it was founded in approximately 1000 A.D., was to educate a free man, a free woman, a free culture, a free society, a free church, and free kids. And that we need to reclaim the high ground of the definition of words. We need to reclaim the high ground of meaning. That a female is objectively defined, for example, and if she is not, then Title IX is a joke. Because if everyone can be a female, then no one is a female, and therefore female sports and other female activities and rights 
civil rights are lost because everyone else can steal those and co-opt those rights. Take your sport away, your shower away, your bathroom away, your dignity away because they've stolen your very identity because we ceded the high ground of the objective understanding of words. I've talked about even how even the prophet Isaiah warns of this when he says, woe unto him who calls evil good and good evil, bitter sweet and sweet bitter. So Isaiah is warning the nation of Israel. He's warning all subsequent Christians who follow thereafter, who, who embrace the objective meaning of the word, God's word, the Bible, that it's not subjective, that it's objectively defined and understood. It's not tossed to and fro with every wind of opinion, that it's grounded and it's permanent. It's immutable, it's enduring, it's true. I've talked about these things a lot on this show. Objective understanding. I've talked about when you get rid of the big laws, you don't get liberty. You get lots and lots of little laws. And what are those big laws? Well, they're objectively defined things. The Ten Commandments. They're not difficult to understand. They're very clear. They're very short. They're very brief. God gave them and said, if you live by these 10 simple things, you'll have more freedom, right? Because you won't need more laws. You won't need more government if you just honor a big God. I've made this argument over and over again. I've even cited atheists who seem to agree with a lot of what I just said in terms of the pragmatic value. Atheists such as Adam Carolla, who has responded to my argument when I was on his show by saying, thank you, Dr. Piper, the world, the world needs more of this wisdom. Adam Carolla said that about the arguments that I've just made for the last five minutes. Dave Rubin on the Rubin Report, his response to these arguments that I've made for the last five minutes was this, if more guys believed what this guy believes, we'd be a freer, braver, and wiser nation. I've talked about Matthew Paris, the homosexual writer for the London periodicals, the London newspapers, who has said the only salvation, the only solution for the genocide in Africa is what? Christian evangelism. Christian evangelism. He said that. And he's not saying it because he believes that he's born again, that he's committed his life to Christ. He said that because he sees the pragmatic value of everything I've been saying. Christian evangelism, the good news, the objective understanding of Christian virtue, of Christian morality, of biblical morality, of biblical virtue, of biblical meaning, that this gives people a measuring rod to measure those things, to measure those things in our lives as to whether they're good or bad or right or wrong. It also gives us the ability to engage in measuring arguments. You can't sit there listening to me right now and say, well, I disagree with you without admitting that you think you're right and that I'm wrong. Otherwise, you wouldn't waste your time to disagree. It would be meaningless. My dog isn't listening to me right now and saying, I disagree with you. Let's have an argument. You're wrong. The cows that I go to feed this morning don't think that I'm wrong. They don't have that cognitive awareness, that moral culpability to engage and say, well, your, your argument's weak. 
I disagree with your moral assumptions. Uh, you're a bad person. I'm a good person. Your ideas are bad. My ideas are good. You're wrong. I'm right. The minute you enter into disagreement, even in your mind, before you open your mouth, you are admitting what C.S. Lewis said, that you have to have a measuring rod outside of those things being measured, or you can do no measuring. Because if you're just going to argue that you're wrong, Everett Piper, on the basis of your power, then that's a very frightening place for any people to go. And we see this in the lessons of history. We see it in the lessons of communist China and the Cultural Revolution. When objective standards of right and wrong disappear, then the Cultural Revolution, you have a bunch of 21-year-old fact-checkers, if you will, in Red China that rose up in great mass with their little red books worshiping Mao rather than the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And what happened? Millions of people lost their freedom and lost their lives at the hands of arrogant youth who think they know everything. It could be argued that that was one of the first historically recorded examples of the Snowflake Rebellion. Only it didn't end very well, did it? We've seen it in Nazi Germany, how Hitler rose up and rejected objective standards. We've seen it in Castro's Cuba. He rejected objective standards, the meaning of words, the definition of morality, of goodness and joy and righteousness and justice, these things being defined by God and not by power or government. We've seen it in one fascist dictatorship after another. We know where this ends. And yet I've got this guy who could be governor of Oklahoma arguing against me when I call for a return to the objective understanding, the objective definition of love. This guy could be our governor. So when you kind of pretend to rest easy, because if you're an Okie listening right now and you say, well, we live in a conservative state. We're in the reddest of red states. These people won't pull these stunts on us here in Oklahoma. Some of you listening to me right now, saying that to yourselves, probably voted for this man that could be our governor, who's challenging me on Facebook for writing an article saying that tolerance and love are not synonymous. That you don't send I tolerate you cards to your wife or your husband on your anniversary. I didn't do that. I don't do that. I don't go get I tolerate you cards from the Hallmark card store. They don't exist. You know why? Because it's insanity to think that we would ever do that. Other than maybe sarcasm and a joke, maybe I should trademark the whole idea and make a little money off of this. Have my I tolerate you cards that you can buy from me and send out to your loved ones. And tell them that, happy Valentine's Day, I tolerate you. Happy birthday, I find you, oh, tolerable. Happy anniversary, honey. Here's a card that tells you, oh, I just, I just tolerate you. I don't like you. I certainly don't love you, but I'll tolerate you. I'll tolerate you 
enough to basically tell you to go go do what you want. Just go do what you want. I don't care. In fact, I could not care less what you do because I tolerate you. That was my argument in this article, folks. I've just summarized it for you. Is there anything that I just said that smacks of hate? How could anybody in their right mind suggest that what I've just told you on this show is hateful? How? Where are you in your thinking? How brainwashed do you have to be? How addled and dull in your mind and your soul can you be to respond to what I just said by saying, well, the Gospel of John tells us that we are to love one another as Christ loves the church. Unless you know of a verse otherwise, I'd be curious to learn. I'd be curious to learn why you're saying what you just said. What the heck are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? Now, if it were some buddy from the Huffington Post, maybe I could say, well, that's expected because they've been given over to a reprobate mind long ago because they started worshiping the created government rather than the creator, God. So Roman, Romans 1 the epistle of Romans, chapter 1, where Paul specifically says, when you do that, when you start worshiping yourself rather than God, when you start worshiping things that are created rather than the creator, when you start elevating other things and bow before them rather than bow before Christ, yeah, you're going to be given over to a depraved mind, addled thinking, a dull, a dullness, of intellect where you can't even think any longer and you stay you say incredibly stupid things i expect that out of the huffington post i expect that out of the salon i expect that out of vanity fair i expect that out of don lemon i expect that out of cnn i expect that out of nancy pelosi i expect that out of barack obama i expect that out of adam schiff but should we expect that out of a guy who fancies himself as a Republican leader in the reddest of red states? A guy who will be at your next Republican meeting, most likely sitting there and smiling with you, claiming to embrace constitutional liberty and limited government and Republican principles. You, many of you, voted for this guy. So if there's a moral to the story before I take a break, it's this. Stop assuming anything. Just because somebody puts an R next to their name doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. Because they could be lying. They could be lying to themselves. They may actually think that they deserve it, that they've earned it, that they've always been a Republican. Or... They could be lying to you. They may know that they're truly not. They don't embrace the platform of the Republican Party. They get really irritated with social conservatives like Piper. Are you going to continue to vote for these people? If you do, I can tell you this. The state of Oklahoma is going to become more and more purple because you're going to have a bunch of rhinos Republicans in name only, run in the place. And they don't believe 
that the government should get out of your business. They believe the government should have more of your business, more of your money, more of your liberty, and more of your freedom. They don't believe it should have less. You need to be asking yourselves these questions before you vote for anyone, whether it be dog catcher, governor, county commissioner, state representative, your senator, your congressman. You need to be asking these questions. Are they really people who believe in the covenant of the Constitution? Or are they basically Republicans in name only? who are going to, going to continue to twist and manipulate and dance and dodge the meaning of words. And they'll actually argue with people like Piper about the definition of love and claim that when he writes and calls upon the nation to return to the Christian ch- virtues, Christian charity, love, that he can be accused of being hateful just because somebody feels that way? Uh, People, we're lost. We're lost if we don't ask questions accordingly. I've ran too long in the first segment of the show, so let's take a break, and I'll finish up on this when I get back. I'm Dr. Everett Piper. And this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. We have a few minutes left to go. Uh, Forgive me for my rant if that's the way it came across uh, with regard to this whole issue. But it's so important. It's so important. You just can't embrace a label today. You can't even embrace the label evangelical any longer because, frankly, unless you define it, I don't know what you mean. Are you a woke evangelical? If so, you're not even biblical. I even, I even question the Christianity of those who claim to be woke. Are you embracing critical race theory, but yet claiming to be a biblical Christian? Well, they're antithetical to one another because critical race theory is unbiblical. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian nor Scythian. So he's clearly saying, don't you dare identify yourself by the color of your skin or your race And in fact, it's arguable that there's only one race in the Bible. It's called the human race. And the only two divisions of that race or subcategories therein are male and female. Oh, you say, but there are Canaanites and Hittites and Jebusites and Israelites, clearly different races. No, those aren't different races. Those are different tribes. There's a huge difference between a tribe and a race. The references to... uh, religious identity, moral cult, moral um, decisions, the kind of God they choose to worship, and geographic locations. This is not a division by race, by color of skin. It's the opposite of that. So critical race theory, which by definition teaches us to judge people by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character, is unbiblical. Period. And likewise, LGBTQIA is unbiblical. Yes, because of the moral decisions that it advocates or amoral decisions that it advocates with regard to sexual behavior. It's unbiblical in that context, but 
equal to, if not even more so, it's unbiblical because it dumbs down the definition of humanity, of the human being. Its key premise is that you are defined by your desires. Your desires define you. Your inclinations are one in the same with your identity. This is unbiblical, people. You're not defined by your libido. You have the opportunity to be defined by your Lord. You are not born that way. That's a lie. That's unbiblical. You can be born again. You can become a new creation. The old can die. Behold, the new has come. You can become a new creation in Christ. This is the gospel message, people. You can't claim to be Christian and put yourself in the same basket with the LGBTQIA alphabet soup of our day. Why am I going off on that? Well, it has a lot to do with this former Republican candidate for the governor of Oklahoma challenging my piece on love. What does it have to do with all of it? It's the dumbing down of meaning. That meaning is meaningless. And he is a champion of that type of nonsense without even knowing it, perhaps, because of his stupid his stupid and foolish comment with regard to my column on love. Am I agitated? Yes, I'm agitated because I can't believe it's coming from a former candidate for the governorship of Oklahoma. Ah, This Tulsa County Rhinos Facebook page, it has 225 members. It doesn't have many followers, but it says this about itself. We believe in what the Republican Party used to be and can be again, a party of liberty, of fiscal responsibility, of civility and faith. That's what they say of themselves. That's the point of this Facebook page. Tulsa County Rhinos. Go look at it if you want to. You don't have to join. You can just go look at it. And you'll see, you'll see on that page that I posted this column that I'm talking about right now. I posted this column that I titled... Show me some love. Stop tolerating me. And if you go read the column, which I encourage you to do, and I'd say go to the Tulsa County Rhinos Facebook page and read the column there so that you can then immediately start reading the comments thereafter. And again, the response from this guy that ran for the governorship of Oklahoma is immediate. As soon as I posted it, he said, like I shared with you yesterday, John 15, 12 says to love each other as I have loved you with the love of Christ living within us. How could we not? The only thing we are to hate is the sin, not the sinner and evil, not the evil maker. I don't know of any scripture that tells us otherwise, he says. If you have one, I'm always open to learning. Well, my first reaction was to respond quite aggressively and say, what are you talking about? You're making, this has nothing, zero, to do with the article. Nothing. And as you know, I did respond and I said, I don't understand your comment. Are you suggesting it says otherwise? Frankly, you're not making any sense. I can't go through the entire exchange with you. Again, listen to yesterday's show if you want to hear most of that exchange. But the point is this, he does respond. And he says, how about reading the first sentence of your post and tell me just one scripture that tells us not to love anyone. Now, if that's not what you're saying, 
Just say so. People, I've just shared with you what the post says. What in that language that I've used with you suggests that I'm calling upon us to hate someone and not love them? I'm doing the opposite. I did respond, and I quoted the first sentence back to him. The first sentence of the article is this. If you've taken five seconds to follow the culture wars currently plaguing our nation, you can't help but see that the fundamental cornerstones once thought essential to our constitutional republic are no longer understood in our body politic. How does, how does this suggest hating anyone? What are you talking about? Stick to the facts. Stop, stop creating these straw men arguments. Now, here's my point in today's show, and I've already said it, so I'm just going to close by saying it again. This betrays something. This debate, this Facebook exchange betrays something. Either I'm completely nuts, and I have the inability to understand what I even wrote, and somehow when I write an article telling you, the reader, that we need to reclaim the high ground of Christian charity, of biblical love, that somehow I implicitly said we need to be hateful to certain sectors of society. And I'm too stupid, I'm too, I'm too insane to see that that's what I really did. That's one possibility. You decide. Go read the article. Another possibility is this guy didn't even read it. He just doesn't like me because of whatever. But I don't think that's the case because I pushed him really hard. I said, did you read the article? Did you read the article? So if he didn't, he's being incredibly foolish. But so here's what I think it has to suggest. Suggest. He read the article. He read that first sentence. He says he's a Republican. He wanted to be your governor. And he still thinks calling upon our nation to return to our constitutional roots that are grounded in a biblical worldview. Like John Adams said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people and is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. That By me saying that, that that's hateful. I don't know what else to conclude. And that should bother you that you could have voted for a guy that's that confused or that deceptive. Or maybe you did vote for him. A guy that, that, that is that confused or that deceptive, that claims to be a Republican, a person of limited government, of biblical morality, but yet rails against somebody who is saying we need to have limited government and biblical morality. We need to return to our Constitution. The moral of the story today, people, is vet your candidates very thoroughly. Ask them questions time and time again. Read their material. Don't assume anything just because somebody has an R next to their name or because they're on a Facebook page that says they believe in the Republican Party of old. Wolves in sheep's clothing are dangerous people, but wolves in shepherd's clothing are downright deadly. I'm Dr. Herbert Piper, and this is The Rebellion.